Good morning, good evening, and good night. Whatever time of day you're listening to this, welcome to What Lies in the Dark. I'm Jay Yvonne. All your life, you've been taught that the monsters you fear are under your bed and they're hiding in your closet. As you grow older, you find out that monsters aren't real. But are they? They don't hide or go boo in the night. They look just like us. They even live next door. They're our friends. They're our family. They're our neighbors. And sometimes they're even our spouses. This isn't to scare you. It's to keep you vigilant. Keep your eyes open. It's to debunk the idea that monsters just simply are not real. Statistics say about 50% of victims know their attackers. That means 50% of the time, you shouldn't fear the unknown monsters in the dark. You must be careful of the monsters you already know. Maybe you have to know the darkness before you can appreciate the light. If you're anything like me, you love true crime. You're simply addicted to trying to figure out the who, what, when, where, and the why the psychology of it all. You sit on the edge of your seat trying to piece the puzzle together before the end of the story. So allow me every week to tell you a true crime story. Come feed your true crime addiction with me. Grab your coffee, midday pick-me-up, wine, adult beverage, or whatever you're into. And let's get into this week's story. I bet you thought, okay, Halloween is over. I don't have my episode like she promised. So yeah, we're not getting one today, but psych, joke's on you. So welcome back, my true crime junkies to the WLITB family. Thank you so much for tuning in. It is still Monday currently, so mm, I put the episode out on the correct day. So boom, there you have it. Anyways, you know what that means around here. Mondays means new episode. It means new true crime around here. Thank you if you're new and welcome back. If you've been here before, you know that today is the last episode of the Trick or Treat series and I have a treat for you. So don't forget to subscribe and of course share the podcast because you want other people to have this same opportunity to hear these great stories that you do. If you would like to stay connected, follow the show on Instagram at WLITD underscore podcast. And if you have case suggestions or if you have case updates, you can email at WLITD podcast at gmail.com. And if you cannot tell, I am super excited because today's episode is not like any of the other episodes that I have um, recorded before. So this episode is actually going to be kind of like a lot of mini episodes compiled into one um, great episode 
for a lack of a better way to say it. So there will be, um, I believe it's six, six stories that I have condensed in order to put it into this one episode so that you're going to get six instances that things got a little crazy on Halloween. And I hope you guys are staying safe. I hope you're checking your candy and um, I hope you're ready. So let's get to it. Number one. Halloween 1974, Ronald O'Brien was out with his children, Timothy and Elizabeth. They were trick-or-treating with their neighbor, um, Jim Bates, and his son. They walked up to a home that had its lights off, but the kids wanted to knock anyways. They were apparently too young to know the rules that when the lights are off and there's no decorations, that normally means that this house is not participating in the Halloween festivities. Or maybe they were just too excited about the possibility of more candy. But nevertheless, they knocked anyway, and of course, there was no answer. The kids decide after a while that they didn't want to wait any longer, and they run off to go to the next home. Jim follows behind them, um, trying to be the good, watchful parent, keeping an eye on not only his child, but his two uh, neighbor kids. But for some reason, Ronald, their father, decided that he wanted to stay behind. A short while later, he catches back up to the group and he has some really exciting news. Apparently, after the kids had run off, the homeowner did, in fact, open the door. There, Ronald stood with a handful of pixie sticks. The candy was divided out and handed to the children, and they continued on with their night. Later that night, Ronald allowed his children to have one piece of candy um, each. And Timothy decided that he really wanted that pixie stick. Don't know what was so special about that pixie stick, but he just had to have it. And at first, he had trouble getting to the sugary goodness. But after some help from his dad, he was able to taste the candy. But something was off. Timothy complained that it was bitter. It it didn't taste good. And Ronald went to the kitchen to grab him something to drink to help him get rid of that horrid taste. Timothy was rushed to the hospital, but by the time he got there, he was already gone. And it had only been an hour since he tasted that bitter and horrible tasting pixie stick that his demise came. The police noted that the little boy's mouth smelled of almonds and they suspected right away that it was cyanide poisoning. The autopsy proved this theory to be true. Timothy was tested and it was determined that he had enough cyanide in his system to kill two people. They discovered that the only thing that Timothy had consumed right before was that darn pixie stick. Apparently, someone had dumped out the top few inches of the candy and replaced it with poison. The police recovered the other pixie sticks right in the nick of time before any other child could be hurt. It was noted that whoever had done this horrible thing had stapled the candy uh, to seal it back as if nothing had ever happened. And, And actually that staple ended up being the very thing that kept one of the other children from also suffering the same fate as Timothy. When they got to that little boy's home, he was actively trying to get in that pixie stick, but that staple was keeping him out and he just was not strong enough to get it open. 
So police asked Ronald to take them to the house that he retrieved this pixie stick or these pixie stick candy from, but he's unable at first to locate it. And he tells them he, he didn't see the face of the person who lives in the home, just some, some person that just came to the doorway and handed him candy. Police began to become suspicious. They're, they're coming, becoming increasingly frustrated with Ronald. And, uh, I guess through their, their frustration and their questioning, somehow they jog his memory and it returns. He points them right to the home that he retrieved these pixie sticks from. But the owner's not there. They track the owner down in his place of employment and arrest him in front of everyone. But, you guys know that it's never that easy. Things don't always line up just like that. So the homeowner ends up having an alibi. He was working on the night in question and police check this story and it checks out. Police began doing some digging as things just weren't making any sense. It turns out that Ronald had recently taken out $10,000 life insurance policies on both of his children in January. And then he added an additional $20,000 on each of them a month before Halloween. The police also uncovered that Ronald was in fact in debt and called the insurance company regarding the payout at 9 a.m. the morning after Timothy died. This was all they needed in order to obtain a search warrant. And during their search, they uncovered a pair of scissors that contained a residue that was mysteriously very similar to cyanide. Ronald was arrested and he maintained his innocence, blaming this mysterious, unidentified, horrible, terrible person for poisoning his child. It took 46 minutes for the jury to find Ronald guilty, and in March of 1984, he died by lethal injection. So that story about check your candy, guys, comes from from this story, and they they named him or nicknamed him the Candy Man. But I checked, I did my research, and there have been very, very, very few cases of anyone else um, either dying or being hurt by Halloween candy. So Mr. Candyman trying to get life insurance money has started that old folk tale that we all believe to this day that Halloween candy is poisoned and you have to check every piece of candy because there's some terrible, horrible, sick, sicko out there poisoning children on Halloween. So thank you so much, Ronald. October 1977, a one-year-old little girl named Nima just seemed to vanish from her cradle. The home was secure. All windows and doors were locked. So the family knew that whoever had taken her had to already be in the home. They had to already have been there. They suspected that someone was hiding out in the closet. After a month of searching, Nima was found dead in a refrigerator in a nearby abandoned home. Unfortunately for this town, this isn't their first run-in of this sort. A year earlier, twin girls ages three were also missing, and it was believed that they were lured out of their home. Two days later, they were found also trapped 
in a refrigerator. Only one of the twins survived, and she pointed, she named the babysitter Jacqueline as the culprit. But nothing came of her claims. And uh, you guys, just guess, who was little Nima's babysitter at the time that she too went missing? Yep, Jacqueline, of course. Again, she's the main suspect, but there is nothing they can do because they have no evidence to support the claims. After years, she is finally charged with the twins' murder, and she serves a life sentence. But she never gives any details or admits to the murder of baby Nima. How sick? How sick is that? Like, you... Um, Killing kids. Horrible. But you did it once. You almost got caught. You do it again. I don't understand. I just don't get it. And then the refrigerator thing. I don't know. I'm assuming she was trying to use the refrigerator to keep the bodies preserved so that they did not stink. But, um, yeah. Thanks. It was Halloween night, 1981. Ronald and Elizabeth are in their duplex enjoying their night. They, they're having a photo shoot. Somewhere in the night, they hear banging. The door is open. There's no forced entry, so obviously the two knew the person. The guest proceeds in and begins with their plan. The couple endures a brutal attack before being shot executioner style. The home is ransacked, there's stuff thrown everywhere, there's blood splatter on the walls. And through investigation, police determined that there are items that were taken from the home. However, it was not much of substance. It wasn't enough to say that this home was broken into or that the person came in with the intentions of breaking in and stealing stuff. The items that were taken from the home was Ronald's gun and the two victims' identification. Police believe that the gun was potentially used as a murder weapon, and that's the reason why the attacker took it with them. And the identification, well, the, the speculation is that they didn't want Ronald and um, Elizabeth to be identified, but you did it in their home, so of course they're going to be identified. Someone's going to be able to say, this is this person and this is this person because you did it in the place that they shared in their own residence. But nevertheless, those are the only two things that were taken from the home. The police had a few theories about why these two ended up dead, but nothing concrete. Police receive a tip or received a tip prior to this, that maybe the killing was related to a satanic cult. The story was that Ronald recorded a video for them and was now in possession of a piece that would contain evidence of a killing. The police had been informed, like I said, prior to the killing, that the cult would perform a ritual killing on Halloween. David Berkowitz, a.k.a. the son of Sam, if you know who that is, kudos to you. Um, but he predicted the murder. The manner of the attack and the location was laid out for police before anything could even happen. But to them, 
the information was unreliable and it was just a made-up story. And they did absolutely nothing to confirm or deny the claims. Afterwards, though, things just seemed really eerie and too coincidental. For instance, how would the cult know details about the murders before they took place? Also, the couple's stolen identification could also be linked to the cult as this was their MO because the other cases the cult had been linked to, identification was also stolen. The police were never able to confirm the claims and to this day, no one knows for sure who did it and why. But Ronald's family claims that he would not have known the son of Sam or anyone in that cult. And he definitely wouldn't have been involved in a cult, much less a satanic one. And to this day, there has not been any arrest and that case is still open. October 22nd, 2012, an eight-year-old dressed in black and white clothing attended a family bonfire. She was hidden out of sight when someone spotted her and mistook her for a skunk. The family member yelled to her son to get it or shoot it, not sure which one. And so that's exactly what they did in fear of a skunk. The little girl was shot multiple times. Obviously a terrible mistake, the little girl was rushed to the hospital where she received surgery and luckily recovered. Police uncovered that the shooter had not been drinking and it really was just a huge misunderstanding. The shooting, however, started conversation amongst residents regarding gun safety and animal rights. Many questioning the need to shoot something that was in its natural setting. Many also wondered why shoot the skunk? Why, why this little girl was out by herself unsupervised? Um, it raised a lot of debate within this, this town of how such a thing could happen. October 2014, Patricia Ward was found in the middle of the street around 8 p.m. She was in fact deceased. Her body was found near Halloween decorations like pumpkins, spiderwebs, and ironically, a fake graveyard. Neighbors had passed by and from the looks of the scene initially took it as a Halloween prank or decoration. Patricia was killed in her apartment and then dragged onto the street headless. Her head was kicked onto the other side of the street. And while this was taking place, while her body was being dragged and her head kicked across the street, there were people who were able to witness this happening. But they just brushed it off as a bad Halloween prank. They thought, this this can't be. Stuff like this does not happen around here. They learn the awful, terrible truth only after someone attempts to move the decoration from out of the middle of the street. And imagine their surprise when they learned that Patricia was not decor. 
Patricia was killed by her son, Derek, who had a history of mental illness. And after the brutal attack of his mother, Derek then took his own life by walking into the path of a train. Um, wow. Yeah, I'm not sure if Derek was in his right mind enough to know to place Patricia's body near Halloween decor, but how many people passed by her and thought, oh, wow, that looks realistic, or, oh, that's a really sick Halloween prank, or really sick decor, and no one ever thought to uh, check it out, or even call police to have them check it out. So I wonder how long Patricia's body laid in the middle of the street before someone uh, discovered that she was in fact, not Halloween decoration. Halloween night, 2015, Dan was in a restaurant minding his business, ordering his food. When he was approached by a man, the man was yelling at Dan about faking his injury. Dan stated that the man began attacking him and and he made him fall over and hit his head on the concrete floor. Dan said that he lost about 10 minutes of consciousness while the attack was taking place. And just like that, the man that assaulted him just walked away. Someone in the restaurant stopped him and, and told him like, hey man, you, you gotta own up to the fact that you just assaulted that man in a wheelchair and made him fall over and hit his head. The attacker was identified as Christopher Dabney. Dan just wanted to recover after the incident and he did not want Christopher to go to jail. But Christopher was charged with abuse of a disabled adult without great harm for striking Dan twice. You see, Dan was a paralyzed army veteran sitting in his wheelchair minding his business and Christopher assumed because it was Halloween, that Dan was wearing his uniform and sitting in a wheelchair as a horrible Halloween costume. Christopher thought that it was just a horrible attempt at dressing up for the holiday and that just pissed him off because Christopher too was a retired vet. And you guys, that's my last one for tonight, for this month, for our trick-or-treat themed um, episodes. But please know, as I was doing research on this, there were so many crazy instances. There was there was instances of people's cars getting egged and that resulting horribly on Halloween. The prank was the egging and... Um, Things just uh, did not turn out great after that. There was a report of um, people being uh, attacked, hurt, killed, etc. over Halloween candy. Adults, not children, adults over Halloween candy. Um, there were um, horrible, horrible pranks gone wrong. There was mistaken identities. Um, there were so many things. When I tell you guys that this episode was so much fun to look up, not because of all the terrible, horrible things, but because I've been telling you week after week after week, people get crazy on Halloween. These are just a small fragment of every crazy, crazy thing that has taken place on Halloween night. And um, 
yeah, there are so many more. So again, I warn you guys to be safe on Halloween. The crazies come out at night and they definitely come out on Halloween. And, you know, just as safe measures, maybe check your Halloween candy because maybe the candy man has descendants who think that it's okay to poison candy. We may never know. But you guys be safe out there. I thank you for taking the time to let me tell you these stories. I want to take a moment to pay homage to each and every one of those victims and their families. Remember to tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend to tell their friend about the little podcast that keeps attempting to upload a new episode every Monday, but make sure to episode episode, but makes sure to upload an episode every week. Um, tell them about the podcast. Tell them how much you enjoy it, how you love it, how how fun it is to get a notification that this podcast is uploading um, and has a new episode for you and how um, how much you just enjoy listening to it, how this is one of your favorite podcasts, whatever you feel, however you feel about the show, tell someone else, share that joy with someone else. Also, don't forget to um, comment, to rate, subscribe, and um, leave a review for the podcast. If you'd like to see the victims and the accused, follow the show's Instagram at WLITD underscore podcast. And if you would like to send case suggestions or case follow-ups, email at WLITDpodcast at gmail.com. I had so much fun this Halloween. Check or treat! I had so much fun this this month giving you Halloween themed episodes and I hope you guys had fun too um, learning about the crazy crazy things that happen on Halloween and I hope this episode was a um, well-needed break from the usual Halloween um, or episodes uh, true crime episodes podcast period um, I hope that the little mini episodes um, did you guys some good and that you had fun listening and you were interested in sitting on the edge of your seat wondering what was going to happen next all right you guys I'm out it's it's night good night for me um, remember don't just check up on people but be there be present love one another be kind to one another support one another be a helping hand to one another and watch out for what lies in the dark i will see you guys next week for another episode to help feed your true crime addiction good night and trick or treat happy halloween